Welcome to the RAF Mildenhall Protestant Parish Podcast. As you prepare your heart to receive today's word, we pray that you are encouraged, inspired, and uplifted. Um, so we'll do that after the sermon. Let's, uh, let's read God's word together, uh, and then uh, I'll say a quick prayer, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, this is from John chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 25 and read through verse 40. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. What is at the bottom? We'll get to the bottom. Now you remember that we started last week in this sermon series about the name of God. You remember that uh, we talked last week about how God shows up and, sh and shares his proper name. Like my name is Graham. My name is what? My name is Graham, right? That's how God showed up and Moses asked him the question. He said, what's your name? And how did God answer? He said, my name is I am. I am. That's it. That's his proper name, yod heh vav heh jehovah I am. We said a few things about that last week. We said that, that this name captures so much that we don't really fully grasp, grasp when we read our Bibles and see the word L-O-R-D in all caps. It captures this idea that God does indeed exist, that there is no reality beyond or behind God, that God does not change. 
That there is an inexhaustible source of energy within God. That he is an inexhaustible source of energy. That he is the ground and the objective root of all things. That we conform to him and not, uh, and not him to us. And then finally we said the good news is that this God, I am, has drawn near to us in Christ. So how do, we, how, how do you know that? Well, because Jesus said so. This isn't me, this is Jesus, who in the Gospel of John, John tells us that on several occasions, Jesus said when, they, when he was asked, dude, who are you? What are you all about? Because he was regularly causing a bit of a hubbub and people wanted to know, what's your deal, guy? And he would say, well, I'll tell you, I am. I am. The very same words that, that God used to reveal himself to Moses are the words that Jesus uses to express who he is in his own existence. I am. And in John's Gospel, we get to learn a little bit more about what it is that God has done for us as I am. So there's eight, uh, seven uh, I am statements in John's Gospel. Um, I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life, and so on and so forth. These are all very familiar to us probably. Every one of those I am statements tells us a little bit more about the character and the nature of God and who he is and what he is doing in the world in Christ. And every one of those statements in the Gospel of John is backed up by what? It's backed up by a miracle that Jesus does to demonstrate that what? He is who he says he is. You ever met a faker? No reason to lie in church. You met a faker. Maybe you're thinking, I'm sitting next to a faker right now. I hope not. If you are, my door is open. Um, no, you've met fakers before. You know, you meet somebody, you're like, you, you don't back up your words with, with your actions. Well, every time Jesus says, I am, he backs it up. He's not a faker. And here we get the very first I am statement. And that I am statement is, I am the bread of life and we get to see a little bit about what it is that God's work in the world is all about we begin to understand a little bit more about what God's work in the world is all about the work of the father Jesus tells us is to accomplish salvation is to be to to bring about salvation fully and completely and that work that God has set out to do in Christ will not be thwarted. It will not be thwarted. Not by debate, not by denial, and not by death. God's work in the world will not be thwarted. Now this passage is so interesting because, because it's, there's two sections. and, and like, So let me just lay it out for you, kind of big picture, and then we'll break it down a little bit. In verses 25 through 36, um, we see that God's gift of Jesus to his people is not received, and it's lost. But then in 37 through 40, God's gift of Jesus to his people is kept, and it's kept forever. In verses 25 through 36, there is sort of an apparent failure on the part of God in sending his son. 
But in verses 37 through 40, the text describes the invincible success of God's intent to give eternal life. In verses 25 through 30, we see the side of human responsibility and what it is to receive what God's offer, what God offers us. And in verses 37 through 40, we see the side of God's sovereignty to accomplish his saving purposes. When you put the two sides of the coin of this text together, what you see is that God's purposes do not fail. God's purposes do not fail. So let's break it down just a little bit. Verses 25 and 26. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they came to him. Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you were not seeking me because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Now, okay. What has happened in the first chunk of John chapter 6? Does anybody know? Not a rhetorical question. Shout it from the crowd. Feeding of the multitudes. Yeah. Starts with a mole, ends with a itudes, multitudes. Feeding of the multitudes, right? That's what's happened. Jesus has just fed thousands of people from like a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish, right? And then everybody's like, whoa, Jesus did something amazing. Even the disciples are like, this is incredible. But, and they want to take him. They want to grab him. They want to like, like make him king. But he kind of disappears. And the next day people chase after him. They, they look for him. And this is where we pick the story up. When they're coming to talk to Jesus after this amazing miracle that he had performed. And Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do you love Jesus just gets right to the point, right? He just gets right to it. I remember the first time I walked into one of my professor's office and I thought we were going to have like this meaningful moment and he just looks right at me like dead in the eyes and he's like, what now? What can I do for you, Mr. Bailey? Like right to the point. Not wasting any time at all. And then verse 27 through 29, Jesus directs the crowd's attention away from the food that perishes to the bread that he endures to eternal life. Do not work for the food that perishes, he says, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In verse 29, he says that the way to work for this food, see, they're really interested. They're like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool, man, eternal life. They're like, they want to know, Jesus says, the way to work for this food is to believe in the one that God has sent. Now, what is really interesting about how they respond? I don't know if you picked up on it. Verses 30 and 31. So they said to Jesus, listen, I'm not kidding. This is actually what they said. Remember what's just happened, okay? He's just fed the thousands. They say to Jesus, uh, what sign will you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. What? They had just been with Jesus. 
He had just fed thousands with a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish. And it, it wasn't like a nice kid shared his lunch with everybody. No, a miracle actually happened. And then they come to Jesus. He gets right to the point, And they're like, what sign? What sign? What sign? Even though they had seen him feed the 5,000, this was another day and their stomachs were empty again. They remembered that in the wilderness God gave manna every day and they didn't just have miracle bread on one day, they had it every day. And so they said, Jesus, if you want us to believe and see, keep on working, keep on doing your signs. Keep it up. Now why did they say that? They said that because God was not at the bottom of their joy. God was not at the bottom of their joy. What do you mean at the bottom of their joy? What, is, what do you mean? I mean like what is at the very bottom of your soul? What is at the very core of who you are that brings you satisfaction? What is it that's at the very bottom? Like there's lots of things up here. Family, fun, friends, work, fulfillment. Those are all wonderful things. Food, delicious bread. Bread with like olive oil and garlic and tomatoes and bruschetta and all the stuff. Good. But what's at the bottom? What's at the bottom? They're standing in the presence of God. They're standing in the presence of God. And all they're thinking about is what? Somebody say jelly beans. Jelly beans. That's all they're thinking about. Do you, this, is, this is why we had to point out last week that the reality that God exists is not something that we just should think about and then forget about. God exists and that is real. And we ought not to treat him simply as the dispenser of cosmic jelly beans, but as the bread of life. As the thing that is at the bottom of our joy, when all else fails, when family and friends are gone, when bruschetta is crusty and rotten, when we have no more jelly beans, when our work fulfillment is no more, when we retire and this thing keeps on going without us, at the bottom of our joy should be God. And these guys... Can I get a jelly bean? They had just, they had just seen him feed the five thousands. How, how often am I guilty of that? God does a great thing. And then I'm like, oh yeah, what's next? Jesus offers an astounding, an astounding response Jesus said to them truly truly I say to you they're like oh yeah Moses did all this cool stuff and Jesus is like no friends let me re-educate you it wasn't Moses it was God Moses was not the key player in manna coming down from heaven he says it was not Moses but my father and then second he says uh, the main point of the bread was that the point, was point, the point of the bread was the point to something bigger. It was not Moses who gave you the bread, but my Father who gives you the true bread from 
heaven. And don't miss the word you in verse 32. My Father gives you true bread from heaven. Most of them are not going to receive this bread from heaven that God is giving. Look ahead in verse 41. But that doesn't mean just because people don't receive what God is giving, that does not mean that God is not giving it. He absolutely is giving you bread from heaven. Jesus is saying that God is giving the entire world bread from heaven. And that is how we are called to talk about and communicate what God is doing in the world. We go into the world and say, God has given the bread of life, so eat it. Just because people don't take it doesn't mean God's not giving it. It's free, so take it and eat it. And in verse 33, Jesus reinforces the nature and the scope of this offer. He says, it is true bread. It is true bread. And he says that it is, that it is bread for the entire world. It is the bread of God. Jesus explicitly states that this is for the entire world. In fact, he says, God gives it to the world. There is a global offer to receive the bread from heaven. And there is a responsibility on the part of humankind, to see and believe and eat the bread of God. And they say to him, Sir, give us this bread always. It sounds like they're, it sounds like, okay, maybe they're starting to get it. Maybe they're starting to get it. Okay, yeah, give us this bread always. And what they're actually saying is, we want you to be like Moses. We want you to give us this bread Every day, keep on giving us this bread. What bread? The bread that fills our stomach. Jesus has already said this isn't about your stomachs anymore. This is about your soul. But they haven't gotten it yet. They keep saying to Jesus, give us the jelly beans. Yeah, those sound like cool jelly beans. Just give those to us over and over and over again. Give us this bread always. Just keep giving us the manna that fills our stomach. It's not that different than, than uh, in John chapter 4 and verse 14 uh, where Jesus is at the well and the lady says, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty nor have to come here and draw water. And she's still thinking about like the chore of having to come back every day and fill up her bucket and go home and come back every day and fill up her bucket and come home. And it's not until something clicks in her brain that she gets, Oh, you're the thing. That my soul is longing for. You're the one that satisfies me. Verse 35. Verse 35. Jesus finally comes out with it. He says uh, for the very first time. He explicitly states like this isn't about. This isn't about bruschetta gents. This is about your soul. He says I'm talking about myself. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. He's proven it. He's backed it up. 
And he says, I am the object of your hunger and thirsting. That I am, I am the thing that is rising in your soul as a daily hunger. Do you ever have that in your soul? Like this longing for something bigger, for something better, for something more, for something real? I mean, artists, musicians sing about it all the time. I don't know if you know the band Hoobastank. You ever heard of Hoobastank? You know, you know what I'm talking about? If I traded it all, if I gave it all away for one thing, wouldn't that be something? Do you know what? Did I do okay, Jeremy? Man, maybe so, so. Right? One thing. What is the thing? What's the one thing? Jesus says, here I am, the satisfaction that your soul is longing for. When the psalmist says, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul pants and thirsts for you, O God. Jesus says, I'm it here now. This is what you were made for. This is what we were made for, to drink in and to consume all of the glory of Jesus Christ. All other treasures, all other pleasures in life point to the all-satisfying and satiating treasure of Jesus Christ. The bruschetta is good because God is good. The jelly beans are lip-smacking because God is good. This is what we long for. The nature of our salvation, the nature of the salvation that God has brought to the world in Christ is that we come to Jesus and have our hungering and our thirsting satiated. No more cotton mouth of the soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Cotton mouth of the soul. Done. To be satisfied with the grace and the mercy and the hope and the love and the justice and the manifold riches that we have been granted to in Christ. Our salvation is about God being at the bottom of our joy. God and God alone being at the bottom of our joy. When we're called to fight the good fight of faith, we are being called to see Jesus for who he is. And savor him above all other things. The fight of faith is a fight for joy. It's a fight to be joyful in all things in Christ. And when that fight begins to happen in your life, absolutely, absolutely everything in your life is different. And all those things that used to be the bottom of your joy that belong at, like up here on the peripherals, all those things, whether they come or they go, your joy is still complete because your soul is satisfied in Christ because he's at the bottom. Verse 36 ends this chunk with the reality that even though people saw him, they did not believe but I say to you you have seen and you do not believe they don't eat the bread for the satisfaction of their souls 
The passage, uh, this section of the passage ends with God's offer of his son and the rejection of the call to faith. They're like, mm, yeah, okay, maybe another day. That's kind of what we do sometimes, isn't it? We, we, we think that something besides Jesus will satisfy us so that when we're called to this radical kind of faith and this radical kind of joy, we accept all kinds of counterfeits instead of the real thing and we return to the desert and we eat our manna and we allow the good things that God gives us to distract us from our ultimate satisfaction and we foolishly think that the distraction will be enough. We tell ourselves that, 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 that jelly beans and bruschetta will be enough to satisfy us when in fact they never will be. But as long as we get the taste on our tongue, we tell ourselves, for now, I'm fine. That's what we do. So are we supposed to conclude somehow that God's purposes have failed? Are we, are, are, are we um, to assume that, that this story here ends with denial and debate and distraction? That God's offer is rejected, that God's offer of his son to his people, um, that God offered his son to his people and his people did not receive him, and that's the end of the story. Well, that's how salvation looks from the vantage point of human responsibility. Paul says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, that this whole thing seems like a big kind of crazy joke. And the truth is, if you were to ask me, apart from God's intervention in my life, Graham, what do you really want? I, I probably would answer something like, um, well, I want, um, I used to want to be a LAPD uh, police officer. That's why I joined the Air Force to, the, to begin with. Uh, so like if you ask me, Graham, what do you really want when I was 19 years old? I tell you, I want bullets, beaches, booze, and babes. That's what I want. Sorry. Not anymore. God has changed my life. Do you feel? But this is, from the standpoint of our responsibility, we're not interested in the bottom of our joy being God. We want stuff like bullets, beaches, babes, and booze. Or we want something like, um, you know, big careers, big cars, boats, yachts, whatever, you name it. I don't know. We want jelly beans and bruschetta. That's what we want. Thankfully, the accomplishment of God's will is not left to me, and it's not left to you. There's just a few things that we notice about what Jesus says uh, in response to their apparent rejection. And these things, these things ought to ground your life and your hope and your security as a Christian. Quickly, first, God gives his people to Jesus. That's what he says in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that God has given me. And in verse 44 and in verse 65, God is not passive in our decision to see and savor and be satisfied with Jesus. God is not passive at all. If God was passive in our coming to him, none of us would come. It's true. Facts. But because God, this is the second thing, because God gives them to Jesus, they actually come. All that the Father gives me, highlight, underline, circle the word, will come to me. 
As we've seen in verse 35, when you come, you are never hungry or thirsty again. When you come, your soul is satisfied. It is God who overcomes the distractions, the denials, and the debates with his dogged pursuit of love. Have you ever heard uh, the poem, The Hound of Heaven? I don't even know who wrote it, but it's just about a hound that's just chasing and chasing and chasing. And finally, the hound captures me with his love. It is God's dogged pursuit of love. And in that dogged pursuit, he works our coming and he guarantees our salvation. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, including the gift of faith, Paul says. You were dead and God made you alive through faith. God opens our eyes. God rescues us from death to life. When we come to God in Christ, he brings us by his spirit. When we believe, it's because God has shown us this reality that Bruschetta doesn't do it, but that God indeed satisfies our soul. God overcomes all of our resistance so that when we come, we come freely because his love has put our resistance to rest. His love has put our resistance to rest. So God gives his people to Jesus. Then God, because God gives his people to Jesus, we come, try fighting with God. You can. Good luck. Those who are given to Jesus are kept by Jesus. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. I think the King James says, I will in no wise cast out. I love how that reads. It's done. If the giving and the coming are the work of God, then the keeping is also the work of God. You are kept by the power of God for all eternity. That's why Peter says we are born again to a living hope, uh, uh, to a resurrection from the dead according to the power of God, according to an inheritance that is kept for us by the power of God. This is the will of God, that I should lose nothing of those whom he has given to me. The life that we have in Christ, according to verse 40, is eternal. It's forever it's not right now and then not again tomorrow and then on Wednesday, but maybe not again on Thursday and then halfway on Friday, kind of on Saturday, but for sure on Sunday for at least an hour, but then on Monday, who knows, until I get my coffee, maybe I'm really not loving Jesus yet. I know it looks like that sometimes when you meet me on Monday morning, but the reality of heaven and the reality of eternity is that we are kept forever by God in Christ right now. You are a new creation you have been made new in Christ, and you are being kept by him forever. And all of creation is waiting for that day when God reveals his glory and all of us with him. We are kept, and because we are kept, Jesus says that I will raise them up on the last day. This is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise them up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will, does, has eternal 
life. This is not a temporary salvation, my friends. Do you know why it's not a temporary salvation? Because God is not fickle. How do we know that God is not fickle? We know that God is not fickle because he said, I am. And we know what I am means. There is nothing behind him. He is everything. I go up to the heavens, behold, you are there. I go down to Sheol, behold, you are there. On both sides of me, above me, below me, behind, in front, and behind me. God is not fickle. Because God is not fickle, there is nothing in my power or in your power that is strong enough to overcome the eternal will of God. He takes my heart of stone, my bullets, beaches, booze, and babes heart, and he replaces it with a heart of flesh. Behold, Jeremiah says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah that is not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke even though I was their husband, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law in them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people and no law Longer shall each one teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? The unshakable and unbreakable will of God to satisfy our souls with the bread of life is the foundation for all that God does. Nothing is more sure than the will of God. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. It is God's will that none of us should be lost. And it is God's will that, God, that Jesus should lose nothing of what he has been given. We don't come to Jesus for a temporary blessing. Somebody say, bottom of our joy. We come to Jesus so that he can be at the bottom of our joy. We come to him for eternal life. And I believe that God's will is indeed unshakable and it will be done. I am says, remember the former things, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times my things are not yet done. My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. The reason for all of this revelation about the bread of life satisfying our soul fully and completely is to make us humble and to make us fearless in loving our God, because we feel perfectly and completely secure in him. Now, I know the question that maybe some of you are asking. How do I know? How do I know? 
that like God has given me to Jesus and that God and that I'm going to be kept and how do I know? I'm glad you asked. I will tell you. Here's how you know. You come. You come. You come right now. You come. And you believe. It's very very simple. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. If you want to know how to be kept by Jesus and to be raised by Jesus, you come. You come now and you come every day for the rest of your life. You come. This is an opportunity that we have to come as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. This is an act of faith, open to all people who proclaim that Jesus Christ is their Savior. This is an act of coming to receive Jesus. We pray that you were blessed by today's word. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and share. Thank you for stopping by our station. And until next time, May the peace of God be with you.